She Did It Her Way podcast, episode 89 with Erin Armstrong. Welcome to the She Did It Her Way podcast, a collective of interviews with top female entrepreneurs from around the globe who have done it their way. These women are disruptors, savvy, courageous, confident, innovative, decisive, unconventional, and humble. Our ladies have proven business models, have taken risks, and have failed only for success to follow. Join us as they share their stories, behaviors, habits, mindset, thought processes, and what it is like to be a woman who means business. And now, here's your host, Amanda Bolin. This podcast episode is sponsored by Design Crowd. Design Crowd is a website that helps startups and small businesses from dentists to accountants to photographers and DJs outsource or crowdsource custom graphic logo and web design from designers around the world. Design Crowd has over 500,000 designers from Sydney to San Francisco ready to help you with awesome creative ideas. Get the perfect custom design every time. Check out designcrowd.com backslash herway. That's D-E-S-I-G-N-C-R-O-W-D.com backslash herway to learn more and receive a Sheet at Herway VIP offer when you start your next project. Or be sure to enter Herway in for the promo code to receive $100 off your next design project. Hey, She Did Her Way podcast listeners. Thank you again so much for tuning in to another wonderful episode of the She Did Her Way podcast. And today, I'm super excited to bring on Miss Erin Armstrong, who is the founder of Enlightened Accounting. We're going to hear a little bit about her journey, but mainly about the numbers behind the business. And accounting is something that maybe isn't the most sexiest thing or the most fanciest thing or the thing that people we want to talk about the most, but it's definitely something that is necessary to running a healthy business. So whether you've recently gone out on your own or you're thinking about going out on your own, I highly suggest you tune in and you listen to today's episode with Erin because she walks us through some of the things that we really need to be on the lookout, how we should organize our money to where it makes sense. And we talk a little bit about the business structures and which one might make most sense for us as business owners. But ultimately, it's full of high value information and anything and everything you need to know about accounting. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you and talk some numbers today. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us a little bit about, tell us what it is that you do and then walk us through how you got up to the enlightened accounting. Okay, yeah. Um, Well, these days I have kind of two parts of my business. Um, I... uh, the bulk of the clients that we bring in, um, we do kind of like full service bookkeeping. Um, so we work with a lot of small businesses, um, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, um, and, uh, help them keep their books in shape. Um, give them a lot of, I guess, I guess, honestly, it's a little bit more than bookkeeping. Um, just cause we're, we, we hold their hands, we help with pricing, you know, we're, we're, uh, kind of a friend and a, a soothsayer when it comes to numbers. Right. Um, and then the other part, I um, really believe in um, empowering female entrepreneurs, especially when it comes to their numbers. So um, this earlier this year, I released a course. It's called A Course About Money for Bloggers and Stylists. So it's really geared to bloggers and stylists. Um, but it just goes through all the kind of – all the really – detailed accounting um, specifics and how they should set up their business and tax deductions and that sort of thing. And I'm hoping to be able to roll out like more of those for different um, 
industries and different kind of more career paths over the the coming years. Um, and uh, so I guess it's a little, I'm in a little bit, in, they're similar, but I'm doing kind of two separate uh, lines. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little tongue-tied. Oh, you're totally <laughs> fine. Um, and as far as getting there, you know, I um, I had two uh, s- small businesses myself pretty early on in life. And um, it was partly a combination of my experiences with the accounting and the bookkeeping and the numbers and how that was so confusing and how I'd ask questions and I felt like I could never get a really clear answer on, on certain things. And so feeling like, ah. and then, um, and then when I did start getting more into, so I, I guess I really that propelled an interest in like tax deductions and being like, well, someone's got to have an answer for some of this stuff. <laughs> um, so that propelled me to kind of look for my own benefit. And then kind of with the combination of the things I was doing, I started realizing that this was something that most um, most people struggled with, even fairly successful, you know, businesses. I mean, technically, it'd be a smaller business, but someone who's bringing in a million might be like, "Man, I have no idea um, what I'm getting to write off, what my cash flow is." Like, it's just they knew they were making enough to live, but that's kind of it. And um, so, a combination of that, and then I will say, when I um, so accounting was not my first career. And so when I went back and was getting my certifications and and um, experience, the first two jobs I had, you know, I worked in-house for a – it was still technically a small company, but but um, it was a full – it wasn't like the corporate world, but it was, you know, companies who were making several million a year. And I just remember thinking, this is so inefficient. Like I – but as an employee, there was only so much I could do. Um, and I thought, I need to just go out on my own and um, be able to come in more as the consultant or the expert that people hire to help them with this stuff rather than being like, this is the way I want you to do it. And and so that's kind of, um, I think I've been on my own, uh, I think, five years now. And um, that itself has brought a lot of experience um, being on your own, but then also in in the line of work I do, getting to see even more of the insides of like how other small businesses work and how their solopreneurs um, bring in the money or what they struggle with. And um, so it's just been really fun. It continues to be fun and I continue to um, meet new challenges, I feel like every, every few months. Yeah. And I know like, I can, when you say solopreneur, which I love that. And I, <laughs> I say the same thing too. And sometimes people are like, what does that even mean? Oh yeah. But I remember when I went out and I became an independent consultant. So it'd be four years ago this past <laughs> May, awesome. my, yeah. And it was exciting. And I even yeah. studied finance in college and took entrepreneurship classes, but it's completely different when you get out in the real world about how to manage and budget and then also do yes. bookkeeping and I struggled for a majority of those years and <laughs> just figuring out the flow and then also I think the mindset too is that I got in the trap of thinking well it's only me so all the money that the business <laughs> comes in is basically right. like what Amanda Bolin is making and that's not a sustainable way to look at Mm -hmm. your business. And I think I also personally discounted my value as like an entrepreneur or a business owner in and of that self. And so if you can speak a little bit about to the solopreneur and, and that mindset too, because I think a lot of the listeners want to go out and then that's where they're going to 
start is in that yes. solopreneur world. So any advice you can yeah. give us? You know, um, I think solopreneurs are awesome. I was certainly that way. It's only been like this last, uh, I guess two years ago I got an assistant, but this last year I've really grown my, um, so I, I guess I can't call myself a solopreneur anymore, <laughs> but, um, but I think that's, it's a great place to start, but you're right. Like whether you stay as a solopreneur or whether you're just going to be there for a few years, it is really easy to get in the trap of, uh, you know, I'm going to bring in this money and I'm going to keep it all for myself. But that, that, um, it dis, you know, if, let's just throw out some numbers. So if you bring in 80,000 for the year, like that's your income, um, that's not really your income because I know you're going to have expenses, you know, and we want you to be able to like write off as much as you can. But the reality is you're not, you're not getting to keep 80,000 in your pocket. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's where it becomes really crucial to kind of have a balancing act to, to, I always tell my clients and the people I speak with, like, it's really important. Maybe you don't have to do the nitty gritty accounting yourself, like maybe, or bookkeeping. Maybe you do hire out from the beginning. If you know, numbers aren't your thing, like someone to kind of help you keep your books in shape. Um, so I'm not saying you have to do it yourself, but I think it's really important to have an awareness of how much you're bringing in and how much is going out from a pretty early stage. Um, and as a solopreneur, I think also, you know, you can kind of set it up different ways. So many people have gotten really good now about maybe they don't have um, a lot of employees working for them, but they figured out, okay, I'm going to contract out this little piece and I'm going to contract out that little piece. So technically, depending on how you look at it, they might be a solopreneur with, you know, a contracted out team. Um, But what can get scary is you just, you don't want to be doing everything yourself because Mm -hmm. Even if you can do it yourself, um, it really limits, you know, your, your, I think, um, I, I wanted to say zone of genius and I thought, well, that's not my own word, but, um, <laughs> that's but, okay uh, though. Did you, is that from the big leap? It is. Yes. yes. I just finished that book oh, and I'm like, this is gold. So it, I, yeah. Yeah. It's, I love that book. And, but what I, and and like to his point or to anyone's point, it's like you, you only have so much time, so much resources, so much energy. And it's like, you need to be, you need to have time to do the stuff that you love, which is ultimately going to be what makes you money. And so, you know, if, if numbers aren't your thing, that's fine. You don't have to do all the details, but I do want people to be engaged with it. So to have an awareness of what they can write off or what they need to be bringing in to be able to put 5,000 in their pocket every month or, you know, just enough to, to live off of, um, because it's easy to just be really excited about what you do, which is of course amazing, but it takes more than just passion. Um, and those first few years are usually the hardest and, and, and you want to be bringing in income that's actually income, not just income with a lot of expenses. Yeah. And I like my thing that I, in the beginning, I, I was like, I'm just going to do independent consulting and be a freelance uh-huh. contractor. Yeah. And so I really lacked the planning and the growth of down the road of two to three years. And to say like, I think about how nice it would have been to have money. Like you're saying, you know, outsource those pieces that are not your zone of genius and give yourself a percentage of your budget to say I'm gonna even though I bring in 80,000 I might budget 10% of that to go towards paying people to do things that I don't want to do and not getting in the mind trap of I'm gonna do everything and you need money to do some of those things (laughs) 
<laughs> you definitely do. It's like a it's a very circular process. You need money to be able to hire things out, but you need money to sustain yourself and um but people are going to pay you money. So it's just it's all a matter of uh, exchange for exchange for exchange. Mm-hmm. How do you or what do you believe um, that causes small businesses, small business owners not to have structure when it comes to bookkeeping or I guess why is it a mess that you're finding? <sighs> That's such a hard question. Um, are there any think, trends or like behaviors that you know, to pop up? I think it's a combination of things. Like one big piece is just that money in general is not, is something that most people have issues with, um, whether it's conscious or subconscious. And I think that's especially true for females. Mm. Um, I, I think we just live, at least within the U.S., we live within a culture that even if we're not being taught hard and fast negative things about money, it's more the lack of what we're not taught or what we don't talk about that kind of perpetuates this, oh, I can't talk, I, I can't bring in that much money or, oh, I can't talk about it because it's bad or because I'm bragging or I think there's a piece of that. So um, that's not super fun and so it's kind of a you know it's associated with money mm-hmm. and then I think there's a piece that when you start your business or even when you're in the first few years it's like you do have so many things on your plate which we're already talking about that it's like oh that's that's just one of the 20 things that I need to to do or to have someone else do mm-hmm. um so I I get it. You know, it's not the priority for most people because if you're making something, why wouldn't you want to spend all your waking hours making something? Um, and then I think, I think a piece of it is, is not, is maybe not having enough examples sometimes of, of, of people who kind of have it together money wise and are open about it. And I don't mean that in a way like, oh, I'm bringing in a million and look at me. I mean more like oh, you know, these are my struggles and I was able to outsource this and now I've figured out a profit margin. And I think that's really um, specific for female entrepreneurs as well because men, for whatever reason, they tend to um, be really clear on um, on what they charge, one. Like you never hear them hee-hawing. Like they're like, oh, I charge X, Y, Z, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they also are more comfortable talking like, I, I don't know because I'm not a man, but – it's clear that they talk with each other and they know uh, like, oh yeah, my friend figured out like that's how he should do it. And now he's making 25% more. And as women, I think it goes back to that like, oh, well, we can talk about our clients, you know, um, maybe the struggles we have like with them canceling or or we talk about a lot of things, but generally money's still not on the table. Mm-hmm. And I think so, so I think p- a piece of it is just learning to um, – to start being a little more open. And and I'll say this, I came from a Southern background, so I'm definitely in the camp where money was never talked about and never acknowledged. And, um, and it creates, while my experience with money wasn't really like, uh, at least at the beginning, super conscious and like, Oh, money's negative. I've, you know, over the years started realizing how subconscious it kind of was ingrained to so many things just to, um, you know, just the lack of talking about it. What was one um, of those things for you that you realized as you got older and more aware of yeah. of money that you're like, whoa, never knew this. A bridal shower and um, this 
this woman was, there's such a range in gifts, you know, but everything was given with a great intention. So it was a really beautiful day. But, you know, gifts ranged anywhere from probably $20 to several hundred, right? Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things she opened was a card. And just in that moment, I saw, oh my gosh, I've done this my whole life. And it's just cultural. Um, someone is clearly giving her money or a gift card. I still don't know because she opened it and she looked and said, oh, thank you, and made eye contact with that person. I mean, she was super gracious. But then she closed the card really quickly. And and I don't know her motivations, but I could see myself in her shoes, you know, like back when I was getting married and had showers or, you know, birthday past birthdays, where I had always seen the example of if someone gave you like a gift card or money, well, that's, that's private. You know, you, you don't want to, you know, it's it's private whether they gave you $20 or $100 but i was thinking how funny because these gifts clearly range in value so why what what's wrong with saying thank you so much sherry or whoever for your $100 gift card or for your $200 that is so nice whereas you know when we were looking at gifts it's clear and it's not about the value that's not what i'm saying but more like there's a disconnect with money versus things sometimes that's an incredible observation and you're totally right on on that like right well, I never it, even thought of that and I've had so many bridal showers and everything this this past year but you're right like you know what the gift if someone gives a an espresso to right. you, you know that the espresso is not inexpensive yet mm-hmm. here instead of the espresso I'll give you $250 cash and that's treated completely different than the gift is. Right, right. And, and you know, say that, that this woman had received $20. What's wrong with saying, thank you so much for this $20. It's so special that you're here. But there is something something in our culture that it's kind of like, ooh, the actual money, it's very different than things or experiences or it's just like taboo. Um, so that's like, I guess that's one example, but I feel like I see those little things just show up in my personal life, which of course really show up in business. Um, and, uh, I think it's just something we have to be aware of. And I think the more we kind of talk, begin talking about it and, um, you know, anything that you draw your awareness to, you start seeing in, in these little different pieces of life. And I think the little changes and little bits of awareness slowly over time can start shifting. Yeah. Is there something with that you've noticed a trend with the clients that you work with, like one <laughs> thing that you can give as an example and then share with us how you um, teach them to overcome maybe that money block or a limiting belief around money? Yeah. Um, yes. So one example would be, <laughs> this is, so a lot of times, especially when it's one of your first pieces that you decide to contract out or um, so maybe it's maybe you're going to have someone clean your office or maybe you're going to have someone do your social media. Um, the first few hires, a lot of times people are so cheap, like so cheap. They, they <laughs> So finally they're like, okay, I'm going to hire someone and then they want to get the cheapest person, um, which Okay, but generally there's a reason that those people are so cheap. Either they come once and then they never come back again if they're cleaning or the social media, it's not, you know, reliable. Um, But I I feel like when you're when you choose to invest in you, 
you don't have to pick the most premium option, but I feel like it needs to be, you don't want to actually spend the least possible to do something um, because you're not going to get you're not going to get generally the benefit that you were trying to get anyway. So whether that's like having someone manage your social media, you're going to pay them $10 for the week. That's really not going to amount to much. You might as well do it yourself, or at least from the things I've seen. Um, And I I feel like like there's – I think that comes from um, a lack of – I, mean, I don't know if anyone's talked about this on your show because I'm thinking this is such a new agey term and I don't really know that I am new agey, but from a lack of um, abundance mm-hmm. because it's like wanting to hold on really tight to everything that you bring in, but that fails to recognize that, you know, when you give a task over to someone and you're giving them money so that they can do that task, it really does bring you back to having more of an abundance of your time and being able to do, once again, the things in your, you know, zone of genius, like, because, uh, and that's, I guess that's something I do talk about a lot with my clients, like when they are ready to, to start making more, it's like at a certain point, you do have to offload some that's on your plate. And, um, because if you don't, you are going to max out. Like you can only do so much as one person doing everything. And so if you're ready to make more, if you're ready, even if you're not ready to make more, sometimes if you're just ready to have a more relaxed life, um, you really have to start letting go of certain things. And that doesn't mean that you don't care. It just means that you recognize you cannot do it all. And so, um, you know, Uh, I think I've used this example before, like I work with a lot of people in the fashion industry and um, like maybe a stylist might charge $100 an hour, but that would only be for when she's with clients. Well, you know, you may say, oh, she gets paid $100 an hour, but what that fails to recognize is that before she went to that client, maybe she did an hour's worth of prep, you know, to, Mm -hmm. to kind of get a feel for what the client's looking for. Then she goes and is actually there for maybe three or four hours and then maybe she comes home and um does either a follow-up or puts together a mood board or something like that and sends it and she doesn't charge them for the time like before and after that she was actually with the client and there's there's that's just the way it operates but it's not no longer is she actually making a hundred dollars per hour you know if you look at the time that she puts in because she's got an hour before a couple hours afterwards and as a fashion, you know, as a stylist, you would um, obviously you are going to be styling with the client because that's your job. They're hiring you as a stylist, but maybe you have to start learning, or maybe you hire an assistant to um, send up the follow up email or do the mood board because maybe you show them like the things you pulled initially, and they can kind of create something a little bit further off of that. So maybe you really are spending closer to the three or four hours that you actually get paid for. Um, and, you know, so all of a sudden you're not, um, let me know if I'm losing you, but, but no, but you're, you're totally, you know, going cause I'm totally allows to totally. make more money because maybe you can take two of those clients in a day versus one because you're doing all the work on either end. Right. But if you have an assistant that you're paying like a nominal, well, comparatively, like, you know, paid well, but not a ton, not as much as for what you're doing and, and known for, then all of a sudden you're able to create maybe another three or 400 that same day, even though overall you might have paid out 100 to assistant. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of having that awareness that the more you 
giveaway, you're you're not only empowering other people's lives because they're able to support themselves and kind of do what they love. Because frankly, a lot of people, there's so many people that love to do what each of us don't love to do. Um, but then you're also allowing yourself a lot more freedom to do the things that you actually like to do, which are usually, that's usually your business, which is the piece that really brings in your money. Yeah. And I like how you said it too. I mean, I think it, you, you look at your time differently and you actually look at like, how much does it truly cost? Like, right. The, and I use it. So for independent consulting, which I still do, but in the beginning uh-huh. I would look at if I was working for a client on Uh, I don't know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I would get my billable day for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I'm like, oh my gosh, look at all this money. But then over time, like I realized I failed to include the like hour cab ride to the airport and then waiting an hour and a half in the airport and then being on a plane for three hours and traveling. And so like giving up all those hours that I'm not even Mm -hmm. in my hometown and so, or like at home and effectively. And like the prep work that takes place. So really it's not... It's not this just $100 per hour. You're doing all this other work. So like what is the true net cost of you mm-hmm. doing that? And then how can you say, is there any part of this that can be outsourced at a like, right. At, at right. not a lower rate, but like um, an, an equal exchange of value right. for someone else to do something that maybe isn't mm-hmm. in your zone of genius. So mm-hmm. I, I love that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it, that's awesome. So let's talk about to the beginnings of someone who maybe recently went on their own or wants to go out on their own. What mm-hmm. is like a three or five step process that you would say, first, you should look at this. Then here's how you want to establish it. Then do this. Like okay. a simple structure, quick high yeah. level that you would recommend um, You know, the first thing I'd say, whether you whether a business has already started or someone's thinking about it or maybe starting like a little, a little bit on the side, um, I'd say go get your own bank account right now for that business. Um, because a lot of people operate out of their personal, like, you know, mixed personal business. And it's just going to save you a lot of headaches. And you're just going to be smart if you do it towards the beginning or as soon as you can. Um, and it usually doesn't cost you anything. Go somewhere where you're, you already have bank accounts and just say you want to open up a savings. Like if you don't already have an official business EIN and that sort of thing, you just need to start keeping your money, like all your income and all your expenses going through. It's entirely separate. Mm bank account. Um, And I'd say the same thing with credit cards. Sometimes that can be a little tricky if you're just starting out because your business doesn't have credit in and of itself. So what a lot of people do is they say, well, I have to use a personal credit card. You know what? You might need to, but make that personal credit card just for the business expenses. Like don't don't put your date night on there. Don't put, don't put your trip to Nordstrom's. Like, just keep it the business expenses. Um, and I really suggest that because, well, for a few reasons, it's just going to make your life easier. It's going to make anyone who works with you down the road their life easier, whether that's a bookkeeper, an accountant, a lawyer, um, employees, and it also really protects um, your business. Just because when you have that intermingling. Um, uh, it actually opens you up for, well, more of an audit. Like if you happen to be um, approached for audit, then it's going to open up a lot more than it would if it was just all in a business account. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be my number one. And then I would say you want to start, you know, when you're starting out, it's 
it kind of depends on what place you're at because some people start out with a very definite idea. They've already kind of developed it. They already have an idea and kind of the awareness that they can make X amount per year doing what they're doing. Some people, you know, aren't ready for that when they dip their toe in. So it's really just kind of a, let's see if this would work. Um, but if you have an idea that you, you know, or when you begin to realize that it's going to work, like you're going to be able to support yourself. I think it's really important to start thinking about your business's legal structure just because that does affect um, how you're taxed so much. So a lot of people when they start out don't form any separate business identity. Maybe they open a separate account like I was talking about, but um, essentially everything's attached to their social security number. And so that means they're filing when it gets to tax time as a sole proprietor. You can certainly do that, but it's not to your benefit tax-wise. Um, just a ton more taxes are going to be taken out when you file that way. Um, so, and it does depend a little bit. Generally, an LLC is going to give you a better um, overall uh taxation rate and then if you're making 60,000 a year just bringing in 60,000 a year or more um, then you really want to look at maybe forming an S corporation and that's because it really will affect like your bottom line like what you're paying in taxes Um, plus all of these legal structures really um, protect you just legally like if someone decided to sue you which I hope that never happens to anyone listening and I hope it never happens to me. But if that happened, at least it's not like, oh, and we're going to take your house and we're going to take your car. And, you know, it's really its own thing. Um, your business. I, even add on to that. And I didn't, I mean, like, again, in the beginning, it, I went from an LLC to an S Corp. And to your point, it, it made it made a world of difference yes. when it came to taxes. Um, but then also on top of that, one of the things that I was really naive and I just didn't think about in the beginning was paying for business insurance and business insurance yes. is something that you should, I, I believe that people should have if you're going to get into totally. business mm-hmm. and it's not the most inexpensive thing, but it's an investment on you and the protection mm-hmm. of your business. And so I just wanted to share that little tidbit. Yeah. Too. Business insurance is really important to have. Um, and to your point, Amanda, like it can be expensive and it can, depending on the industry you're in, it can actually be really cheap. So you can't really affect what industry you're in, but either case, I think you need it just because it's going to help you so much as opposed to if, if, if you don't have it. Hey, She Did Her Way listeners, I want to share something with you. We have a Her Way challenge going on right now. It is a 15-day challenge that starts at the beginning of every single month, dedicated and designed to help you achieve that one goal that you have set out for the month, and it's to give you a jumpstart for the first 15 days. Make sure you head on over to herwaychallenge.com where you can sign up and receive all the emails and updates, and then make sure you head on over to Facebook and type in Her Way Challenge, and you can be let into the private Facebook group as well where you can connect with other like-minded individuals and receive support and community from all of us inside the Facebook group. What are some other key things for people starting out on their own to also keep in, like, how would you (laughs) advise them on bookkeeping? Because I know sometimes when you start off, it's maybe you don't need a massive bookkeeping, but like, what does that transition look like? Um, I think if you're just starting off, if you can 
this is one of the reasons that it would be great to have like a separate business um, bank account and a separate credit card if you're going to use a credit card. But I think you want to, in this day and age, um, invest like in QuickBooks Online, like right off. You can use their simplest, I think they have something called Simple Start, like just choose their cheapest option. And that's um, just probably like, I don't know, five to 10 bucks a month. So it does cost you something, but you can basically um, hook in your bank accounts and um, it's not going to do all the work for you, but at least you have, you'd have to learn a little bit if you're not going to outsource your bookkeeping, but you would be able to track the income and the expenses you have. And if you gave yourself a loan to start out your business, or if you have to put your personal money in, um, I think, I think investing in one of the accounting softwares there's several. There's zero fresh books, QuickBooks Online. Frankly, um, I'm certified in all of them. I, you know, have endorsements from all of them. But if I were choosing one, I'd say QuickBooks Online. If your U.S. business is the one you need to use, um, just because there's some back end things that it's too too much to get into here. But it, it's just going to be best for your business. Um, but I think that can really help you, you know, um, or if you're an, if you're an Excel person <laughs> and you know how to use spreadsheets, do that. But you just, you really do have to be tracking it, um, to know what kind of expenses you have and your income. I'd say another piece that's really important to track, um, which people don't always think about is generally people do one of two things. Either they start their business saying, okay, I saved 10,000 or 20,000 to, to get me on the right foot. Or they start just with the knowledge that they're going to need to put in some personal money as they go forward in the next few months. Um, and if you're putting in that money, you really need to make sure, um, that you one know every time you put money, like personal money into your accounts or put it towards things. And two, to be extra safe, I would, um, either keep a copy of those checks or keep a copy of those um, transfers. And that's really because what what happens sometimes is if people haven't been doing the full-blown bookkeeping or even if they have, um, if you're audited down the line or if you have a bookkeeper come in and try to figure out what's been going on, you really don't want anything you put in like as a loan to your company to be taxed, which a lot of times after Mm -hmm. everything's all said and done, you know, not in real time, that can look like income. And um, you don't want to be taxed on that, you know, when it was already your money. Um, starting out, too, I do think it's a really good idea to to basically, well, it depends. If you're going to start on the side with already having a job or, you know, some, some income from another source, you have a lot more leeway um, in not having to bring in as much in the very beginning. But if you are going to go on your own, you really need to have um, – a little bit of a nest egg and that's going to be different for everyone because some people feel very good about living very frugally and other people don't. So, you know, that could range anywhere from 2000 to 50,000 or a hundred thousand. Um, but you know, I, it's definitely doable, but you want that cushion because there's nothing that is more uncomfortable and more stressful than not having, um, a bit of a buffer and feeling like, I'm not bringing in the money or sometimes people even bring in money, but depending on how, um, 
their their industry, they may not get paid for 60 days. So you're having to wait for two months, even oh, though yeah. you know you brought in 10,000, right? Yes, I totally can relate to that, especially with consulting, because sometimes <laughs> it's a net 30 or a net 60. And right. then, but you're also booking flights. And so in my position, I cover all of the expenses and, and pay them up front. So I might book yes. them 30 days before I work. But right. so I'm carrying that expense for 60 for days. For a long time. Yeah. 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 So you really, it, it would really help to have that buffer. And I think if you are planning on it, um, I, I think it doesn't hurt to just start stashing away. Um, at the same time, I sometimes hear people say, oh, I have to have 100000 before I can even start my business. And I guess that would be true if you're manufacturing. But for most service-based businesses or solopreneurs, um, you don't have to have that much. I mean, you, but you do want a buffer. You want a buffer to keep you being able to live, you know, somewhat the life that you're accustomed to and to provide, you know, to know that your family's taken care of if, <laughs> if everything doesn't come in as quickly as you think. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about, um, the deduction piece. So explain yeah. high level what a deduction is and how that makes an impact to your books. And then yeah. talk to us about some that, are common and then ones mm-hmm. that maybe people aren't as aware of or didn't know that they could get that as a deduction. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So um, when you bring in money, that from a legal and accounting perspective is considered your gross income. So everything you bring in for the year is considered gross. And then you have what are called expenses or deductions. The two terms are interchangeable, but it's confusing because people use either one. You're like, wait, are they talking about the same thing? So deductions and expenses, same thing. Um, And that's everything that you can write off, which you might also hear write-offs to make Mm -hmm. it even more complicated, right? Um, Deductions, expenses, write-offs, all the same thing. What that basically means is it's an expense. It's something that your business needs that costs your business money or cost you money um, in order to do your business. So um, those subtract from the gross income and then you're left with your net income, which is what you're at a federal level taxed at. And then if you meet certain tax brackets, you, you get a little bit of a extra charge. But most of your taxes come from your your net income, which is your income, all your everything you brought in minus all your expenses, and then you're left with your net. Um, And what expenses do, you know, we all think of, well, yeah, like if you start a business, obviously your computer or your software, or um, if you rent an office space, or um, there's a lot of things that are just kind of no-brainers. Pencils, if you use them in your office. and then there's a lot that people are like, well, I know it's related to my business. I know it has to be a deduction, but but then they take it to their accountant or someone who's going to file their taxes, and they're like, nope, 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 nope. And um, and that can be really confusing. Um, the reality is, most things that are related to your business that you're having to spend money on are deductions. Sometimes you may. It, that you may end up working with an accountant or tax filer who doesn't really understand what your business does or what you do to make money. And that's why, and maybe they're not so fresh on what's held up in, um, in tax court. Um, and that can create a lot of issues sometimes. So I guess that's a kind of a different train of thought. So we'll go down that maybe later, but basically you want your, um, 
write-offs to be, well, it, it depends on how you look at it. Some people will say, I want my write-offs to be as high as possible so I don't have to pay taxes. And I'd say that's true, but it's true to a degree because you you want money in your pocket, though, ultimately. Like, you want your business to be making money. You don't want to just be bleeding it because right. what's the point if you can't pay for your own stuff, you know, if you can't live off of your business? But it's also true in that you should I, – I firmly believe you should be able to write off every expense that you need to do your business. So I think um, – I think it's having the awareness of there all are all these things that you can deduct for your business and you need to this is where I, I think it's really important whether you have a bookkeeper or a tax filer or not. Um, I think business owners need to be engaged and have a, at least somewhat of a of a conversation and an awareness and an education in what they can write off um, because you can't always depend on who you're working with to know exactly how things are being used. Um, so so there's a lot of the standard deductions. I'd say just f- since we're not talking about any specific industry, um, just so industry non-specific, one deduction that a lot of people um, aren't really sure about would be a home office deduction. Mm-hmm. And um, in this day and age, most solopreneurs, in my opinion, and small business owners have a home office. Um, and a lot of people love working from home. So that's definitely something you can write off. But there's a lot of confusion about how you can write it off or what qualifies and that sort of thing. Um, and then I don't know if you've heard, but generally when I'm out speaking with people or um, even at, I don't know, just social functions, people are like, oh, I'm not going to write off my home office because I heard that that's a red flag for the IRS. Well, it's it's not. Um, oh, my gosh. Really? Uh, yeah. No, no. Because oh my, wow. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a flag. I think about like 10, 15 years ago, they were um, – I don't know that it was a red flag, but they were following up on that deduction a bit more. But that's their job is to follow up and make sure people are only taking deductions that they're qualified for. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the reality is if you have a home office, why wouldn't you be taking that deduction? Why would you? Because it depends on where you live. You know, like real estate in Chicago is very expensive. So is it in L.A. and New York? And that could be several hundred to a thousand um, a month, you know, that you're getting to write off. So essentially you're not showing it as income, um, which would be good because then you're not paying as high of taxes. Um, and that's a piece. So so essentially that's a deduction that, yes, if you have a home office, you can deduct it. Um, it to qualify, it needs to be something used exclusively for uh, business purposes. So most people end up thinking that that's like a separate room. And that could certainly be a separate room. But once again, like in New York or L.A. or um, Chicago or, you know, places that real estate's a lot higher, that's not always something that is going to be an option. Like it might actually be. You might, your home office might actually be like half of a studio or like yeah. a certain corner of, <laughs> of your studio in New York, you know. So so what you have to do to if you want to make sure that you actually are qualified for that, you got to measure off how much is that square footage. And it shouldn't have like what you're counting shouldn't have your treadmill in it. It shouldn't have your bed in it. It's like your desk if you have multiple desks or if you have multiple chairs or like, you know, most people that say they have a home office, they really do have a designated space. And so you need to figure out what that designated space is. And that's what you claim. And that so that usually ends up being a percentage of your um, of your rent or mortgage. And um, 
for different people, I mean, for some people that's not going to be very high, but for some people in some places, it's going to be pretty high, even if it's not a huge area. But like I said, it has to be used exclusively for your work. So you, you can't just claim the kid's bedroom, right? Because mm, the... Arguably, they live in there, play in there. Um, that's not going to fly. But if you had like a guest bedroom that actually has a bed in it, but then half of it set up for your office, you could count that half that has your office and your bookcases and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's one. I was trying to think what would be another like yeah, uh, one that like people may take to their accountant and their accountant says, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> um, well, you know, I can think of a lot of industry-specific ones, but this might be one that that I feel like people sometimes don't know or or there's confusion about as well. Um, like meals, most businesses have a lot of um, meals and entertainment that they try to write off. And you can certainly write it off, but I feel like um, those who aren't as engaged with their financials don't realize that that's only like 50% write-off. Yeah. Um, And so that can be huge, you know, if you're just like, oh, I'll pay for this, I'll pay for this, I'll pay for this. And arguably, as a business, you do want to look and appear generous, so you're going to pay for that stuff. But that could easily, depending on the industry you're in, add up to 10 or 20 or 30,000 in a year, and you're only, you're really only getting to write off half of whatever that is. At the same time, there are certain things that could be 100% mill write off. So one, you want to understand that the just blanket most of the time it's only going to be 50%. But the second piece of that is there are situations where it is actually a hundred percent mill deduction and you need to make sure you're, you're, you're distinguishing that differently. Um, because that would be something like if you have an event and it's like a day where you, people sign up to do, I don't know, photography, they learn photography with you and you bring in um, lunch and maybe dinner or something like that, that needs to be different because that's catering. Um, well, it's not just catering. It's it's basically, it's part of what you're giving your client, right? Because it's, it's the photography, it's a day with you, which is also the meal. So that's not a 50%. Or if you occasionally bring coffee to the office for people who work on your staff, that could be 100%. Um, so just having awareness that generally it's 50%, but... But on the things that are 100%, why not distinguish that as different? Right. Um, um, I'd say those are like the biggest two. And then there's lots of industry-specific ones. But um, I, I think I think with those, most people could save some money, to tell you the truth. Yeah. A lot of, I know. I was reading your bio, and you found a massive amount of money in the small business that you were working with. And you're like, what? How are people missing this? And like, yeah. what is it? Um, no, this has been like wonderful, wonderful information. Uh, if there, for the last question, what is the one thing you want, um, our, our listeners to start doing Hmm. or like what's one take action item? You know, I think if you could start having a regular, um, money date with yourself, even if you don't know what you're doing or really what you're looking at. I think the practice of starting to engage with your financials is something that probably everyone could benefit from, but as as a solopreneur, as entrepreneur, as a small business owner, um, it's really it's really important to take some time. So like, I, I think it's important to schedule in like 15 or 30 minutes every week and kind of take an assessment of, um, 
of the income you've brought in and the expenses you have. And, you know, it doesn't have to be formal. Maybe you're not really into the bookkeeping yet and that's okay, but you could at least look at your bank statements or your credit cards and just begin to start having an awareness. And I feel like just the practice of doing that um, sets most people up for not only a healthier relationship with money and a healthier relationship with their business and with um, their growth potential, but it also is really empowering because um, it's a place, you know, going from rather than being in a place of, I don't know anything, you, even if you don't know the technical jargon or you don't fully understand everything that's going on, just being able to know what you know, right? Mm-hmm. And to not be afraid to, to look at it. Because I think that's a lot of what it is, is that we have this fear of, I'll look at it and either I won't understand or I'll look at it and it'll make me feel bad or I'll look at it and it's not as high as I want it. So that's depressing. Or I'll look at it and uh, it's like we make up these stories in our head. Mm-hmm. And I think just the fact of even if you don't know what you're doing just the practice of taking like 15 minutes a week and scheduling it in like not making it negotiable but just being like hmm well I brought in this this week and wow this is more expensive than I thought or sometimes I find that people are amazed at how much money they're actually bringing in but they just had no idea because they were so scared to look Mm -hmm. and um you know, that obviously would be the the happiest outcome. But but I think it's not just a short-term thing. It's like the practice of doing that really sets you up to um, to make smarter decisions and to feel better about your life and, and the way you run your business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think to, to echo on that, what you were talking about in the beginning with maybe women, it's a bit different than men and talking about mm-hmm. money is we are innately more emotional creatures and beings. Uh-huh. And I mean, my, yes. the one thing that I can definitely relate to is like student loans. And especially after graduating college, yeah. I resented wanting to pay my student loans every single month. It was always this mm-hmm. like gross battle and I knew how yeah. much I was paying to it. And like, I resented it. But then once I just like ripped off the emotions and said like, it's just a transaction. It's like getting yeah. excited to say, okay, I'm paying this money because I received something for it. Mm-hmm. And having that dialogue with it. And to your point, like making it consistent it helps us get over that fear. It helps us get over that yes. like, pit in our stomach to not want to look at it. Yeah, totally, totally. I, and I love that example because uh, that's that's a common one in our generation. Oof. And <laughs> yeah. anyone's out there listening, you need a little boost on that. Just don't be afraid to hit me up because I will. Uh, I can relate to that for sure. So. Well, Erin, thank you so much for all the wonderful information and everything. And we will have um, links to your website and ways to get in contact with you, especially with Enlightened Accounting. Um, but yeah, you guys definitely check her out and connect with connect with Erin. And we just really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you, Amanda. It's been so much fun. And I really appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Bye, Erin. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the She Did It Her Way podcast. Did you like this episode? Head on over to iTunes.com to leave us a rating and a review. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check out SheDidItHerWayPodcast.com where you can subscribe to our email list so you can receive the inside scoop on our latest episode released each Monday. Now, do us a favor and go make it a great week. 
Hey, Shoot It Her Way listeners, Amanda here, your host. And I want to share with you guys that I'm excited that She Did It Her Way has partnered with your podcast guru to help produce audios and logistics for the show, She Did It Her Way. If any of you are looking to get into podcasting, definitely check out yourpodcastguru.com. 